Thank you, Mike. Well, next Sunday, next Sunday morning, we are going to return to our study in the Gospel of John. But this morning is Easter morning. It is Resurrection Sunday. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're watching by live stream this morning, you don't have a Bible, don't worry. You can just follow along. As I uh, share with you this morning, most of the verses will be on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15 is sometimes known as the resurrection chapter, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He has written, he wrote two letters to the church there, and this is the first one, and this is near the end. And he writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This morning, the title of the message is The Gospel and the Resurrection. And what I want you to think about as I share this message with you this morning is that for a person to genuinely be a Christian, for you to genuinely call yourself a Christian, you must, you must believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ, you cannot be saved. You are not saved. You are not a Christian. You must believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ to truly be a born-again Christian. So we could say that the resurrection is not only important to the gospel, but we could say the resurrection is at the very heart of the gospel. Our first point this morning is our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 is not just about the resurrection of Christ. It is about your resurrection and my resurrection. All of those who know Christ as Savior will rise from the dead. We believe that when we die, our souls go to heaven. I personally believe that we are given a temporary body at that time. But ultimately, eventually, all of our bodies, these bodies, the one you have right now, is going to be resurrected and glorified and reunited with your soul, and that will be your resurrection body on into eternity or for the duration of eternity. Those in the church will rise at the rapture of the church. Those from the Old Testament and through the tribulation will rise at the resurrection of the saints at the end of the tribulation, but we will all rise. Christians do not believe in reincarnation, we do not believe in annihilation. We do not believe in soul sleep. We believe that after death, we will live. We will live in a resurrected and eternal body. This is our hope, our great hope. You, if you know Christ as Savior, will live as a resurrected man or a resurrected woman. 
any biblical lesson about the future resurrection of every believer must begin with the gospel. It all begins with the gospel. Paul writes in verses 1 and 2, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless, unless you believed in vain. What is the gospel? It is a word that is so tossed around within Christianity, but what is the gospel biblically? The gospel is that all of us in our natural state are sinful and deserving of the judgment of God, the eternal judgment of God. So we are sinful, we deserve the eternal judgment of God, and we have no ability whatsoever in and of ourselves to save ourselves. There is nothing we can do on our own to merit eternal life, to earn eternal life. But Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, came, and he lived a perfect life. He lived in perfect obedience to God, and he died on the cross. He died in my place, in your place. He died for our sins. He was punished for each and every one of our sins. And then he rose gloriously and victoriously from the dead, overcoming sin and overcoming death. And a person is saved. A person comes to know God. A person comes to know Christ as Savior by placing their faith in what Jesus did for them in his death and resurrection. Salvation is not something you do. It is something that has been done for you. So you come to salvation by placing all of your faith and trust in what Jesus did when he died and rose again. You took your stand in the gospel, Paul says. This is the gospel on which you took your stand. You received it. You still hold to it. You still permanently stand on the gospel. This is what I preach to you. This is what you received in which you stand. And then he says, by which you are being saved. And he says, by which you are being saved because there are different aspects to our salvation. When we come to know Christ as Savior, when we come to that point in our life where we ask Jesus to come into our life and to save us from our sins, then our position is in Christ. We are clothed in his righteousness. We are justified. We are saved. But... We spend our earthly lives living out, learning to understand who we are in Christ. We are growing in Christ. So we are saved in Christ and we are growing in Christ, understanding our identity in Christ. And then eventually, when we die, we will go to be with Jesus and we will be removed from the very presence of sin. So Paul says, and by which you are being saved, if, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, unless you made a false profession of faith, unless you are living your life in such a way right now that you give no evidence that Jesus is your life and your Savior. So what he's saying here is I'm going to assume as I move on with this that you've understood the gospel and you have genuinely, sincerely placed your faith and trust in Christ's death and resurrection. You see, you are saved. 
by faith in the gospel. It is the gospel, even right now, that continues to hold you, to give you salvation. And what I really want to focus in on this morning is it is a gospel of resurrection. It is a gospel of resurrection. I want to say something this morning, and I want to be very careful how I say it so that you don't misunderstand me. I think it's important, but it could easily be misunderstood. And that is this. There is no power in the cross if there is no resurrection. I just want you to think about that. There is no power in the cross if there is no resurrection. Let's say that Jesus died, and let's say that he died for my sins and for your sins, but he never rose from the dead then that means that sin has defeated him, that means that sin has overcome him, and that means that his death in our place does absolutely nothing for us. It is his resurrection that brings out the power of the cross. In his resurrection, he proves that he has overcome sin, that he has overcome death, and that he will give life, eternal life, to those who are willing to believe in him. One great Christian historian said this, if there is no resurrection, then Jesus dis disappears from the historical records. And I think he's right. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, he just disappears. We wouldn't even be talking about him. He'd be irrelevant today. We think of that passage in the book of Romans that's so crucial as we seek to understand the gospel and salvation. If you've gone to church for a long time, you may know it well, but if you haven't, it may be new for you. It's Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, which means is saved, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's that first sentence that is so important to us this morning. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you don't believe that God raised him from the dead, you can't be saved. Resurrection faith is absolutely unique to Christianity. There is no resurrected Savior in Buddhism. There is no resurrected Savior in Hinduism. There is no resurrected Savior in Islam or any other religion outside of Christianity. What sets biblical Christianity apart is that we are saved. We are brought into God's family because we believe in a resurrected Christ. We believe in a resurrected Savior. Now, I want us this morning to look at verses 3 and 4. Now, when we talk about the gospel, the whole Bible is about the gospel from Genesis, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. But if you want a succinct, concise definition of what the gospel is, there is nowhere in the Bible or anywhere else you will find a better definition than in verses 3 and 4. Men have written entire books on what is the gospel. 
But this is what the gospel is. Verses 3 and 4, always remember this, is the gospel. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In accordance with the scriptures, based on the teaching and prophecies of the Old Testament, Christ, the Messiah, died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day. And you are saved by placing your faith in what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection. That is the gospel. Well, that leads us to our second point this morning, which is really kind of at the crux of what I want to share with you. And that is eyewitness testimony. The eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Christ is overwhelming. Overwhelming. And what I want you to think about here is when we come to the end of verse 4, I mean, Paul says Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day, and then he could have just gone on with the rest of the chapter, skipping over verses 5 through 8. But he doesn't. Because when he said he was raised on the third day, he wants you to know. He wants every single one of you to know. He wants me to know that there were many, many, many credible and reliable witnesses who saw Christ risen from the dead. In verses 5 through 8, it says, In that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died, some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, as we think about how many witnesses saw Jesus alive from the dead just in this text, I want you to remember that this doesn't even include the women who saw him at the tomb when he rose from the dead. This doesn't even include the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who saw him alive. So he gives this list. And he says, then he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is a translation of an Aramaic word which means the rock. It is a reference to Peter. In fact, in some English translations, it simply says, then he, uh, excuse me, and that he appeared to Peter. Now, if you know even a little bit about the Bible, you will know that Peter denied Jesus, denied him three times. And then after that, he wept. He was so filled with guilt and shame and remorse that it just crushed him that he had denied his Savior. And what an act of love, what an act of grace that one of the first people that Jesus appears to alive is Peter. You see, Peter needed to be restored. Peter needed to be encouraged. Peter needed to be strengthened because Peter was going to play a very important role in the strategic ministry of the early church. So one of the first people he appears to is Cephas, to Peter. And then to the twelve. By this particular time in biblical history, the twelve had just come to refer to the twelve apostles. Now, when we come to 1 Corinthians 15, there are not 12 apostles. There are only 11. 
because Judas has committed suicide. But they are still referred to as the Twelve. And when Jesus rises from the dead, the night of that very first resurrection day, the apostles, the Twelve, are in a room with the doors closed. They are afraid, and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to them. Most believe he probably walked right through the walls. And he says to them, peace be with you. But not all 11 were there. Only 10 of them were. Thomas was not there. And so a week later, because Thomas had doubted, he appears to them again. And Thomas also believes in the resurrected and living Christ. And so he appears to the 12. And it's really interesting. Later at the very infancy of the early church, when they pick a person, a man to replace Judas, they pick Matthias, by the divine guidance of God, they pick Matthias, and one of the criteria for picking a replacement for Judas was the person they chose had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. Had to be. He had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. And Matthias had been. And so he is added to the twelve. In verse 6 it says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, alive at the time of this writing, though some have died, some have fallen asleep. And this is fascinating. Because we, almost, we know almost nothing about this. But when Jesus rose from the dead, somewhere, most believe it was probably in Galilee, Jesus appears alive in his resurrected body to 500 people at one time. Now it says 500 brothers, but the term brothers here is very general. It is very likely that he appeared to a whole group of men and women who were there. So he appears to 500 at one time time 500 people saw Jesus alive in his resurrected body at one time overwhelming all of them were witnesses to the fact that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead then in verse 7 it says then he appeared to James this is interesting why does he say he appeared to James who is this James it is most likely not a man named James who was one of the apostles because he's already mentioned the apostles or the twelve. Because there were two apostles actually who were named James. There was James the son of Zebedee the brother of John and there was James the son of Alphaeus. So there were two James among the apostles but it is believed that this is not either one of them. That this is most likely Jesus half-brother James. And this is helpful because we've been working through the Gospel of John. And if you remember early in the Gospel of John, Jesus' brothers, when Jesus was about to go up to the Feast of the Tabernacles, did not believe in him. In a sense, they were cynical. They were skeptical of him. And I, I don't know if some of you remember, but way back then in that message, I mentioned to you that his brothers did not believe until after his resurrection. But they did believe. And the most prominent of his brothers ended up being James, his half-brother, who went on 
to be a leader in the early church and is the author of the book of James. So I think Paul goes out of his way to say, then he appeared to James. And then it says, then to all the apostles. This is a little puzzling because it's already said that he appeared to the 12. Why does it now say that he appeared to the apostles? Most likely the reason is, is because he appeared to the apostles numerous times. Did you realize that? He appeared to the apostles numerous times. There's a fascinating verse in the very first part of Acts chapter 1. And that's why the little details of the Bible are so important. In Acts chapter 1, it says that after Jesus was raised from the dead, before he ascended into heaven, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days with many convincing proofs teaching them about the kingdom of God. Jesus in his resurrected body, in his resurrected body, taught them for a period of 40 days, 40 days with many convincing proofs teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then in verse 8, Paul adds, important for him and important for us, last of all, last of all as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Jesus, the physically resurrected Jesus, appeared to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and actually appeared to him a number of times besides that. But he saw Jesus alive after his ascension. And we believe, theologically and biblically, that Paul was the last person who actually saw the physical resurrected Jesus until we die someday. So that Paul was the last one who saw the physical Jesus alive. And he says as to one untimely born. And what he means by that is I didn't become an apostle the same way the other guys did. The other 12 did. He said I came later. Jesus specifically and divinely appointed me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. So I became an apostle in an untimely way. I saw Christ long after those guys saw Christ, but I am an apostle. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1, Paul writes, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Notice those first, excuse me, those middle two questions. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And the obvious answer to both questions is yes, yes you are, Paul. Yes, you are an apostle. Yes, you have seen Jesus. So, when we think about the apostles, technically, there are 13 apostles. There were the 11 after Judas, Matthias was added as the 12th apostle, and then Paul became the 13th apostle. But here's what I want you to think about this morning, specifically about the apostles. They saw Jesus die. They saw him whipped. They saw him beaten. They saw him mocked. They saw him crucified. They saw him crucified. They saw him 
say, heard him say, it is finished. They watched him give up his spirit. They watched as they took Jesus down from the cross and wrapped him in linen garments. They watched as they placed Jesus' dead, dead body in a tomb. And now, he, this Jesus, is alive in the same body in which he died. But now, it is a living body. It is a resurrected body. It is a glorified, perfect body. And they see him. They saw him for over 40 days. He taught them. He gave them many convincing proofs. They see him actually alive. And the Apostle Paul wants every one of you to know there were all kinds of people, credible, reliable witnesses who saw him alive. But I want us again to focus on the 12. I want you to think about the character of those who were direct witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. I want you to think about who these men were. These are men who gave the world the most powerful teaching it has ever known. And these are men who held to that teaching and died for that teaching in the face of hatred and hostility and persecution. This is not some little band of defeated cowards hiding somewhere and then later running out and disappearing among the crowd. No, these are men who literally preached this message until they died for their faith. They are men who literally preached the gospel until they died for the gospel. And when the disciples, the apostles of Jesus, proclaimed the resurrection, they did so as eyewitnesses, and they did so along with many other witnesses. I don't know if anyone's ever taken account of how many people saw him alive, and maybe we don't know. Maybe there are a lot more than we realize. But we do know this. There were well more than 500, well more than 500 people who had seen the risen Christ in his risen, living, resurrected body. You see, to believe that Jesus is alive not only changes your life, but it also changes the world. To believe that Jesus is alive not only changes your life, it also changes the world. Your growth right now as a Christian, your witness to other people as a Christian, your faith and hope that you cling to right now, even when the world around you is confused and chaotic, all of it is dependent, totally dependent, on your unwavering belief in the resurrection of Christ. Your growth, all of your growth, all of your witness, your faith, your hope are all dependent on your unwavering belief that Jesus is alive. Folks, Jesus is alive right now. As we meet together, Jesus is alive. And we are not only to believe that, but we are to live that. We are to live in the reality of his presence and his power every single day. We are not only to believe that Jesus is alive, but we are to live in the reality 
that he is alive, to live in the reality of his presence and of his power every single day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that our Savior is a risen Savior. Thank you that he not only died for our sins, but rose victoriously from the grave, conquering sin and conquering death. And we thank you that even now, even right now, our risen Savior never leaves us and never forsakes us. And we pray in his precious name, amen.